For too many years, we've been told to show the horse who's boss, use gadgets, and ride two and three-year-olds. We're expected to follow fashionable trends, like riding behind the vertical or with your horse's nose on the ground, and put our short-term performance goals before the long-term health of our horse. This sounds crazy to me, because we're forgetting all about the horse. In this show, you'll learn why groundwork, lateral movements, liberty work, and pole work are so important in your training program. Plus, how to build lightness and softness in the saddle by recognizing the try and building confidence in both horse and rider. We know that horses are only physically mature at five and a half years of age at the earliest. We believe that collection is not a head position. We know that older horses are not disposable, walking 100 miles on foot is amazing to build that connection together, and that bitless bridles, California hackamores, bosal and macates can be really useful. We never place competition goals above our horse's health, and we know that self-carriage means that the horse does it by himself. We take as long as it takes, and we understand the importance of working slowly with the horse to build connection, trust, and partnership together, and we aim to always put the horse's mental, physical, and emotional needs first. So I promise to share all my horsemanship strategies with you. Sounds good? I'm your host, Elaine Heaney, creator of the Listening to the Horse documentary. Let's get the show started. One thing that you might not know about me is that I adore Australia. I love the Aussie accent, love the people, love the countryside, the beaches, the animals, I literally love it all. I worked for three years in my first job out of college in Dublin and then I quit my job and decided to go traveling um, for the first time to Australia. So I flew into Melbourne. Uh, went along the Great Ocean Road, stayed in Adelaide for a week or two, then got a bus up to Alice Springs, did some amazing hikes all around there, and then flew down to Sydney, stayed there for a few weeks, and then headed up to Brisbane, which I loved. Uh, Brisbane is such a cool city, and visited, I think, a place called Morton Island. And then I was, I'd was i been in Australia for, I think, like eight weeks or ten weeks at this stage, about that, and... Um, got a job actually over New Zealand and flew over there and Australia is actually the place where I filmed my first official um, horse documentary called Southfield and Light Horses um, filmed that northeast of of Adelaide and anyway yesterday I was scrolling on Facebook as you do and what appeared but a clip of a program called Bondi Rescue Now, bearing in mind, due to COVID, I haven't been anywhere in 18 months. Literally, I haven't left Ireland. And just, I started watching it and it was magic to hear the Australian accent. Like, I felt like I was back in Australia, being able to watch everybody on the beach. And uh, it was just, it was so nice. It was definitely kind of like a flashback to all of the the amazing trips that I've had over the years to, to Australia. And basically... On this program, Bondi Rescue, if you haven't seen it, um, there's lifesavers on, on Bondi Beach and they rescue lots of people because there's actually quite a few dangerous rips on the beach. And then also sometimes, being Australia, sharks appear and so they have to kind of get everybody out of the water and sort that out and make sure the shark disappears off again. It's really enjoyable to watch, but what caught my attention was one time during one of the, the little clips I was watching, they mentioned something about the local guys the local people that that surf there so there's a community of surfers who live local to Bondi and they surf at Bondi but here's the thing they 
tend to go surfing every morning at about 6 or 6.30 a.m., something like that, before they go to work. So they just go surfing, really get up early, go surfing in the morning because they it's just it's part of their, it's like a, more than a lifestyle before they go to work and then do their, their normal day. And I immediately got a flashback to some of the old surfing movies that I've seen over the years. And I remember the passion I saw, literally, like surfing came first everything else was a distant second and one movie I remember from years ago was Point Break and Patrick Swayze was in it and he was playing a surfer and he said he said about surfing he said it's the place where you lose yourself but you find yourself and not only had these Bondi surfers who got up at 6 a.m daily and for me this is like mind-blowing because I you know I get up at about eight getting up at 6 a.m would have to be something really important like going to get a flight or doing some on of some horse adventure or something but these Bondi surfers they get up every day to go surfing at 6 or 6 30 a.m in the morning they have the passion but they also have <clears throat> the drive and the motivation and I think it's so admirable to have those levels of passion and drive because when you do Whatever it is that you're applying it to, whether it's surfing or horses or work or, or whatever it is, your only option really is to succeed, whatever it is that you're doing. And I know with any activities, it's not always easy to be motivated and focused. And these last 18 months with lockdowns and worry about everything that's been happening has been really hard on everyone. But what I'd like to suggest is that you find either a copy of the Point Break movie and go watch it in the next day or two and get inspired by the passion of these surfers. Or you have a chat with someone that you know who is passionate, like really passionate about something that they do, remarkably passionate. And just ask them why they love it and you're gonna be inspired too. And I know I'm definitely going to go and watch the Point Break movie again tonight. Now, quick update on Matilda, my lovely Matilda, my mare, Irish sports horse mare. So I'm actually just back in from riding the riding her this morning and she was great. She was really, really good. We started off in walk uh, just to warm up and then we worked on some collection and balance exercises. So we did a little bit of shoulder out, shoulder in. We did circles with bend. We did leg heels out of the circle and then tried asking the four to step into the circle, which is sometimes with horses, like if you do something that's at one end of the scale, you need to do something that's the opposite. So with leg heels, you're always asking the horse to kind of step out, but then you need to make sure that the horse doesn't forget how to step in, which is why I was then also asking her to step the inside four in just to make sure we hadn't gone too far one direction. And then we're doing things like moving the hindquarters and forequarters 180 degrees. And the way I ride when I'm teaching a horse this is to ask for a step or two. And it does depend how far along the horse is like, are you just starting to teach it or do they kind of understand it and you can ask for more? And then after this, I'll just ask the horse to walk forwards again and relax and give the horse, Matilda in this case, like lots of vocal praise. I'll tell her she's like the best horse in the world. And I reckon the more I can keep things simple for the horse and easy to understand and just ask for a step or two and then make it really obvious that she's got it right and she's so clever when she's figured it out, the more fun it is for myself and for Matilda and also the faster that Matilda's going to learn. So when we do something, a few steps of shoulder in, a soft backup, whatever it is, I tell her she's wonderful. We'll either just keep walking and just be relaxed on a loose rein for a little while, or if it's really good, like I'll give her a rest and give her a little bit of a wither scratch, which she loves. 
And I really do get this feeling that she's happy and proud of herself. She feels relaxed and calm and it's as if she's enjoying working on these little puzzles with me. And then we'd done some work with that. And then I always usually end up with some poles on the ground somewhere, some type of setup, because I just, I love doing pole, pole work with my horses and they find it more interesting too, I think. So there was some poles on the ground. So I was like, okay, cool. Let's go and do a little bit of fun pole work now that we've done the kind of complicated stuff. Let's go and uh, just have a little bit of fun. So we, we actually ended up doing some of the same moves in trot and then also adding in the poles for just for some fun and variety too. And this week, what I want to do is I want to share with you an exercise that Matilda and I were doing this morning. And this exercise is going to be your homework for the week. So here's what we were doing. We'd stand still. Then I would ask Matilda to walk a couple of steps, like two, three, four steps. Then I'd ask her to stand still again for maybe two or three seconds. Then I'd ask her to back up two, three, four steps. Then we'd stop again for a couple of seconds. Then we'd walk forwards a couple of steps, stop again for a couple of seconds, and then back up for a couple of steps. But here's the catch. It might sound easy, but there's, there's always a catch, right? The catch is that we had to do this without me doing anything with the reins, without me adjusting the reins, without me pulling on the reins, without me even moving my hands, without me moving my fingers. I had to communicate all of this to Matilda using only my voice and my seat and my balance. So I couldn't use the reins. I couldn't adjust them. I couldn't make them longer or shorter or, or do anything with them. Um, what I did was I used three voice cues. So I do like using voice cues. And I remember actually I was, I was working with Ozzy. What were we doing? We were doing trot shoulder in to, um, to a back up to a roll back to a trot the other direction in shoulder in. And there was one little point that he was always getting stuck at. He was really good with the shoulder in, but just when I asked him to move his hindquarters and take a step back, he was always just a bit sticky with that step back. And I was trying to figure out what I could do. Could I, was it me delaying stuff or was I blocking him in some way? But I was finding it just kind of, I was like, there's a little, there's a tiny piece of the puzzle that I'm missing here that's making it tricky for him just to do that backwards movement. He'd, he'd do what I asked, but instead of like, getting that nice backwards movement so I could roll back, he was just taking a little step forward, like, or not even taking a step, but his, he was pushing his weight forward, which was the opposite. I was looking for backwards. He was thinking forwards. And I was like, there's some little thing here. And I remember thinking about it. And I thought, how, like I was thinking, I was wondering how I could make it easier for him. And so I, I thought I'd try one thing. When I was just about to ask him to, so we do the shoulder in and then I'd move the hind, and then I'd ask him to take a step back and then to move the front. So just as just as we're about to move the hind, he kind of had to stop the front feet in order for the hind to step. So I thought I'd put in, I just say ho. And when I say ho, it means stop, basically. So even though I kind of didn't want him to stop, I just wanted him to stop the front feet, move the hind and think of a backup. I thought, well, he understands that means stop. So maybe that will help just kind of remove the forward movement that was going on that I didn't want. And I did it and it worked perfectly. He wasn't doing, he wasn't doing the push forwards anymore. He just didn't understand, but he understands ho. And when I said ho, as I was thinking of asking him to stop the front feet, move the back feet and step back, suddenly the forward movement was gone. And so it was one example of how using a little voice command that he understood 
made his life so much easier and completely fixed this balance problem that I was having difficulty trying to use my body and my balance to help him with. So anyway, I'd remember that. So with Matilda, what I was going to do was also then use these voice cues. So I have three voice cues, forwards, I just say forwards. When I want a horse to stop, I say ho. And um, when I want a horse to back up, I say back. Now you can say whatever you want. <laughs> the idea is that you're, you're consistent and your horse hopefully understands you. Um, also then to ask for forwards. Now bear in mind, I, I decided I'm not using my hands. I'm not doing any of that, no reins, no nothing. So I changed the energy in my body. I wanted my body to feel like I was about to go somewhere. And I also changed the angle of my pelvis a tiny bit. And I thought about going forwards. And I also looked forwards where I wanted to go. So a little bit more energy, looking where I wanted to go. And Matilda can pick up on all of this stuff. Like she can feel everything. Um, and then, so she was like, okay, we're walking forwards. So we walk forwards. And then to halt, I said, ho. So ho. And I just sat, I just changed my pelvis position a little bit. So instead of my pelvis, I was really aware that it was now kind of pointing straight up. It wasn't tilted forwards, it wasn't tilted backwards. So it was pointed straight up and I breathed it out. I, is that a word? <laughs> I took a breath out. <laughs> but I still, and this, this is the difference, I still had energy in my body. So normally if I want my horse to stop, I'll say ho, but I'll breathe out really deeply. I'll nearly kind of slouch a little bit in the saddle. I'll really sit in my back pockets. Like my whole body has just relaxed and taken a rest and the horse will do the same thing. But this was different because I didn't want to communicate to Matilda that my whole body was taking a rest. I was still riding and engaged. We were just standing still. So I said, ho, and I, I took a breath out and I sat a little bit more on my I made sure my pelvis, I should say, was pointed straight up so it was different to when I'm moving forward. And I breathed it out, but I still kept that energy in my body. And she stood still, but she could feel I was I was up there and I hadn't switched off. I hadn't relaxed. I was still up there. There was still energy in my body. So she was standing still, but she was still listening to me. And she was like, Elaine's about to ask me to go some direction. I don't know what it is yet, but she's up there thinking about something. <laughs> So that was good. And then I was, so I was still actively riding. And then for backup, what I did was I kept that energy in my body, which was still there, even though we were standing still. And I just sat, changed my pelvis position and sat a little bit more in my seat pockets, brought my shoulders back just a little bit. And I said, back, back. And she started moving backwards. And I didn't touch the reins to get her to stop. I didn't touch the reins to get her to go back. They're, they were just not doing anything. Literally, I was working on my energy, where I was looking, where my shoulders were, and the um, angle of my pelvis. And so, regardless of forward, stop, backwards, my hands didn't move, I didn't lengthen the reins, I didn't shorten the reins, I didn't do anything with my fingers, I didn't pick up the reins, I didn't do anything. I gave no signals on the reins. When I stopped the horse, I didn't like let the reins go. I literally, my hands in the reins did not move whether I was going forwards, stopping, backwards, stop, forwards, stop. The hands in the reins stayed exactly the same. The energy in my body stayed the same. My body had energy the whole time. My body felt like I was thinking about going somewhere. And that's why sometimes this can be tricky because when you ask your horse to stop, if you go, oh, and you breathe out and you relax, and then you let the reins go and the reins are longer and the horse is like, oh, we're having a rest and the horse switches off. And then it's much harder to then 
get them back to listening to you and to being engaged because they've just like switched off all the energy in their body and they're just taking, you know, they're just relaxing. So it's really important that when you're doing this exercise that you keep your posture, you keep your energy in your body and you keep your energy at the same level, whether you're going forwards, backwards or at halt. So the only thing that's going to change is your balance, your pelvis angle, moving your shoulders back a little bit when needed and also your intent. And it actually felt like sitting on one of those yoga balls. I'm sure you've at some stage probably been to a yoga class and uh, and you've been sitting on these balls. And when you move one part of your body a little bit, whether you look to the right or you put your hand down or you move your pelvis a fraction or change your weight a little bit, the ball underneath you moves immediately. It, it, it's, it's like it, the tiniest movement influences this ball that you're sitting on. And so it was like that with Matilda this morning. When I moved one part of my body a little bit, Matilda moved either forwards or she stopped or she moved backwards. It was really cool. It felt like a dance and our minds were totally connected and listening to each other. So that is your homework to try it this week with your horse. Halt, forwards, halt, backwards. A couple of seconds of each, couple of steps forward, couple of steps backward and put a halt in each time and just see how can you do it without so you can't touch the reins or you're holding the reins but you can't move your hands you can't adjust the reins you can't do anything with the reins your hands are just there holding the reins but they're not doing anything and they don't change forwards backwards stop your hands your reins whatever they're doing they're just there they don't change the only things that you can use to do this exercise are your intent you got to keep your you got to keep energy in your body so the horse is kind of knows that you're up to something but they're not quite too sure what you're up to yet so you keep the energy that does not change no matter what direction you're moving or if you stop the but the energy in your body is still the same so don't just go oh, and breathe out and slump and take it easy if you do that it's not going to work so you just need to keep the energy in your body keep your intent and play around a little bit with moving your pelvis, changing your balance, moving your shoulders forwards and backwards, looking where you're going and um, using voice commands if you use them will also probably make it easier for your horse. So that's your homework. Enjoy and definitely hop into our Facebook group too. You can go to starthorselistening.com and um, like try it out with your horse and let me know. I'd be really curious to see how you get on. Now finally this week, I want to share a post that I saw in our Facebook group recently and it's about something that's really important to me, actually, um, and that is being able to have access to horse riding lessons that are, number one, beneficial for your horse's health, and number two, easy for the rider to understand. Because, honestly, I think with a lot of traditional dressage lessons or flat work lessons, that's not always the case. So it was really interesting to read this post. So it started with a question. Ali asked a question. She said... My horse has been through five weeks of classical dressage training, focusing on flexion and rounding into contact. I'm having trouble finding a suitable instructor in my area. So I'm wondering if the shoulder in and out training course would be suitable and easy enough for an amateur such as myself to teach my horse. Um, so that was the question. And then we had a reply from a lady called Sharon. So Sharon said, Hi Ali, I took classical dressage lessons for many years when I lived in New York. After moving to Florida two years ago, I was disappointed to learn there are no classical dressage trainers in my immediate area. There are trainers, but they are the type who use roll curtain gadgets to force the horse into a frame. After taking a handful of lessons from these types of trainers, I just knew there was a better way 
and that I would be better off on my own listening to my horses and going with my instincts. Recently I discovered listening to the horse and I felt like I finally discovered like-minded horse people. The shoulder in and out module was one of the ones that I purchased and I'm very happy with it and so is my Hanoverian horse who's called Summertime. You learn how to do shoulder out from the ground and then in the saddle. And she said, we learned more in 30 minutes of videos than I had accomplished in many months on my own. And she said, I highly recommend um, the program. And I just want to point out that I have nothing to gain here by promoting this. I'm just an average horsewoman who's genuinely impressed with the results. You just have to be willing to put in the effort, um, listen to the horse and be patient. So... Sharon, thank you for your feedback. And honestly, the like the only way I can learn, particularly with horse stuff, which kind of tends to be complicated sometimes if, if it's not really taught properly. But the only way I can learn is if there's a good teacher who can actually break down some of the complicated topics like shoulder in, like shoulder out, like dressage moves, like things like collection and lateral work <laughs> into something that I can easily understand is like normal Joe soap. Just don't, I don't want a ton of terminology and, and all this kind of stuff and just break it down, explain the purpose of it, why it's useful, what we're looking for, what, what is the goal and just a few easy step-by-steps that I, step-by-step processes that I can understand because the only way I can teach my horse is first for me to understand it. And if I'm looking confused, <laughs> it's not going to work. <laughs> so I really appreciate that. And I really do aim in all of my online courses to try and really break things down. So they are as simple as possible for horse riders to understand. So then you have much more of a chance to actually be able to go, oh, that's what it is. Okay, I just move this here or try this here. Or, okay, that's what I'm looking for. And then it's much easier for you to go out and try it with your horse. Because if you understand, chances are you're gonna be able to teach your horse and there's not gonna be an issue. So if you'd like to be featured in this section of the podcast, so if you have a story you'd like to share about anything that you've you've learned um, in our community or any way that you've you've um, found any of our um, resources or the podcast helpful or anything like that or you just like to read some more stories about our students from all around the world literally like Canada, Australia, Ireland, Europe, um, New Zealand um, all you have to do is join our community at starthorselistening.com so that's it for this episode thank you so much for listening and talk to you again soon bye Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. Now I'm quite excited because soon we will be holding our next five days to confidence workshop. This is an online workshop. It's completely free and you can watch it from anywhere in the world on your smartphone or laptop. And you're going to learn how to deal with scary arena corners, how to get your horse brave with plastic. And you'll also discover some really useful confidence building tips. And not only that, you're going to be able to build your own confidence in the process too. Each day you'll get a fun homework assignment to do with your horse and you can get all the details and get a free ticket at www.5daystoconfidence.com.